Welcome. You're listening to the podcast of First Church in Woodland, California, Pastor Timothy Wisnett. We're so glad you could join us, and we pray that this message you're listening to today is a blessing to your day, and I want to invite you also to visit us online at firstchurch.app to get connected with us and learn about our service and upcoming events, and uh, we hope that we can connect with you and see you soon. 1 Samuel chapter 30 and beginning at verse number 18, uh, 1 Samuel chapter 30 and verse 18. I, we, By the way, we still are, uh, we're not done with our Way of Holiness series, uh, just with me being here tonight and then won't be here next week and then we hit the holidays. Uh, the midweeks are a little thrown. Um, I want to get back in it when we can hit a stride and we'll pick up because um, I probably have at least four more months to continue on in our Way of Holiness series. So we're nowhere near done with our Way of Holiness series. Amen. Uh, how many How many left here with your faith lifted on Sunday? Amen. Uh, uh, I believe that's what the Lord is wanting of us and uh, is to realize how far God has brought us. And how many can say, I'm here tonight against all the odds I'm here tonight just just being alive just being alive against all the odds you're here amen and so uh, Bishop Price used to say this he said you're you're a winner he said you were born a winner he says matter of fact you were born uh, even before conception you were a winner and he would say that the moment of conception, there was over 500,000 sperm cells racing to one egg. And you beat out the rest of them. So you're a winner. Now, I'm not always comfortable saying that. And I waited till the kids left because I don't want them to go home and ask you what that meant. Amen. But Brother Price didn't care. He'd say it everywhere. Amen. So look at your neighbor and say, you're already a winner. Amen. But we realize it wasn't random chance, but it was God who formed us in our mother's womb and knew us uh, even before time. Amen. And so I, I want to kind of continue along those themes because I truly feel that so many things can happen over the span of 10 or 11 months. And we can step into the, end, the last month of the year and look back at what we've not done, what we've not become, the money we didn't save, the weight we didn't lose, the job we didn't get, the money that's not in the savings account, the kids that didn't do what we wanted them to do. We, we went under expectation. And if we're not careful, we can carry that into the new year. And then it takes one or two months to kind of lift us up again. And so we need to understand that uh, you can't, the richest man in the world, uh, I don't know who it is right now, who's the richest, there's a good competition. There's a lot of billionaires. I think we got one that uh, in the next 10 years will uh, be the first trillionaire. With all their vast wealth, they cannot purchase one second. They cannot purchase one second of time. So just know you can't go backwards but you can move forwards. And so it's whatever you failed in this year, put it behind you and make a new commitment every day. I'm going to be better today than I was yesterday. How many years have you heard me say, well, I know, five and a half. Five and a half years you've heard me say, I can't be 100% better tomorrow, but I can be 1% better tomorrow. And if I'm 1% better tomorrow and then I'm 1% better the next day, well, then I'm 2% better than I was today. So just do it one step at a time and move forward. And that's what I want to encourage you with tonight. And David recovered all that the Amalekites had carried away. And David rescued his two wives. Thank God he did that. Can you imagine if he only rescued one? Maybe, maybe it was a nightmare anyway. Maybe he rescued both of them and one of them said, why'd you rescue her? Thank you, Lord, for the covenant we're in of one wife, amen. <laughs> I'll leave that alone. 
And there was nothing lacking to them, neither small nor great, neither sons nor daughters, nor their, neither spoiled nor anything that they had taken to them. David recovered all. Now, I'll get into the story in just a little bit. Suffice it to say, this was a miracle that happened. Because David was fixing to fight that entire army all by himself. And he didn't even ask God's permission. He just said, God, when do you want me to go? I'm fixing to kill everybody. With his best friends holding swords ready to cut his head off. He put on sackcloth and ashes and then he wiped his face off and said, I'll go get everything back and I'll kill every sucker that stands in my way. And until you get that kind of a mentality in living for God, I am going to survive in living for God. I am going to be an overcomer come hell or high water. I am going to overcome by the grace of Almighty God. Until you get that dogged determination in you, living for God is going to be, it's, it's going to be a struggle. But when you make up in your mind, I didn't start in this thing to quit. I'm going through. And I'm going to tell you what the devil thought he had some of us. Even since we've been saved. He's thrown every curveball that he knew. Every screwball, every knuckleball that he knew. And as a former baseball player, those are my three things I hated to swing at. But the devil's thrown all of them at you. And you're here right now. That's what I want to talk about tonight. Against the odds. Against the odds. Look at somebody and say, against the odds. I'm standing beside you tonight. Come on, because if the devil had its way, I wouldn't be here tonight. And let's just be honest. If my flesh had its way, I probably wouldn't be here tonight. But against the odds, I am here in the house of the Lord tonight. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for your great presence and your grace. Lord, I pray that you would speak to us again tonight through your holy word. And I pray, Lord, that it would bring revelation and insight and strength and encouragement, direction into our lives. And God, I am praying that we will leave here with fresh strength and encouragement through your word. In the name of Jesus, we pray. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. God bless you. You can be seated. John Wesley Powell has been pretty much forgotten. There was a time in American history that every, every school kid knew about John Wesley Powell and his amazing courage to survive against all odds. As a matter of fact, a lot of people thought that Powell was nuts. They thought he was crazy, thought it was insane. The expedition was simply too dangerous for anyone to take, especially for a man like him. A man like Powell, who only had one arm. You see, during the Civil War, Powell had lost his arm when an enemy soldier shot him in his forearm. The wound, as was very common then, most extremity wounds were treated simply with amputation. But Powell never let his injury stop him from being a national hero. See, back in 18. 69, conventional wisdom said that passage through the Grand Canyon on the Colorado River was absolutely impossible. The country surrounding the Grand Canyon oozed with legends of doomed expeditions. No one had ever dared that stretch of river from beginning to end and come out alive. All of the other, out of all the expeditions that had given it their best shot, there was not one single survivor that went from the beginning of the Grand Canyon to the end on the Colorado River. It was just too strong. One Army lieutenant had explored the Colorado just on the southern side of the Grand Canyon, and he believed that the powerful river was so treacherous that the Colorado, along the greater part of its lonely, majestic way, he said, shall, quote, forever be unvisited and undisturbed by modern man. But the one-armed explorer thought about it and thought, I think I can pull this off. And on May 24th, 1869, John Wesley Powell and a party of nine stepped into their boats to attempt the thousand-mile journey along their way. Their party 
down the Colorado River as they navigated, there were numerous ambushes. There were ambushes by Legion Killer Rapids. There were ambushes by massive waterfalls. They were ambushed by boulders the size of cabins. They were ambushed by loss of boat. They were ambushed by critical food loss. They were ambushed by the loss of navigational instruments. As primitive as they were, they still helped them. Yet 100 days later, Powell and five men emerged from two boats. And the hope for their survival had been given up weeks before. The headlines had already been written that this expedition had ended in tragedy. These men will never be seen alive. Their bones will one day in the future maybe be discovered. When they arrived, they were suffering from exposure and near, salva- near starvation. But the point is simply this. They made it. And they made it against the odds. What happened to the other four men? Well, one had decided to turn back. The other three, in numerous, after numerous disagreements with Powell, left the expedition. They hiked up to the rim of the canyon, only to be killed by the Indians that were there. Powell rose up against all odds, and he and what was left pushed on through. And this is what I want to use that story to simply tell you this. Your life is an uncharted river from this day forward. You don't know what tomorrow holds. You don't know what lies just around the bend. There's no way for you to foresee every rapid, every boulder, every waterfall, every ambush that lies just around the bend. But here's what you can have confidence in is the one who holds your tomorrow, who sees the stretch of the river from its beginning until its end. And the Bible said, for every temptation, the Lord has already made a way for you to escape. So I want to encourage you tonight. You may be afraid of what's going to happen tomorrow, but you don't need to live in fear because the one who controls all things controls your tomorrow. Can you say amen? Life, and not just life, even our service to God is going to have more than one or two obstacles for us to have to move through. And the longer I live, the more and more I come to believe that it is something that burns in the heart of man that helps them press on against all odds. Something within you has got to burn that you can make it and that you are willing to go further than where you are right now. And I ask you this question. Are you where you want to be in living for God? I didn't ask if you were perfect. I just said, are you where you want to be in living for God? And those that have been here a while have heard me ask that question about this same time every year. Are you where you want to be in living for God? And if the answer is yes, well, then praise God. Keep on going. But if the answer is no, then the thing that's holding you back is not the people around you. It's not the people on your job. It's not even the devil. The thing that holds us back from being what we want to be in God is the person that we look at in the mirror every morning and we've got to make a determination within our own heart and in our own life that against the odds I am going to be what God has called me to be nobody may believe I can be it my family may not believe I can be it but if God said I can be that then I am going to be that the church is beginning to understand the armaments that have been afforded to her the weapons that God has laid in our hands. And revival has the capacity to awaken those things that are within the heart of even the most distant saint of God who feels that they can't be or they're not strong enough to be what God has called them to be. Because when you read scriptures like 2 Corinthians 10 and 3 through 5, you realize that not only are you able, but you are more than able to do what God has called each and every one of us to do in our life. For Paul wrote this to the church at Corinth, and he said, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations. Let me just stop right there. Some of you need to learn to cast down imaginations. I'm going to say that again. Some of you need to learn to cast down imaginations. You've lost jobs because of your imagination. 
It's Wednesday night. I'm going to go a little deeper. You've lost jobs because of imagination. You imagined everybody was talking about you. You imagined everybody was doing. You imagined that they were scheming against you. You need to learn to cast down imaginations. It's like when I see teeny boppers on social media talking about their haters. Honey, you don't have haters. You're 14 years old. You don't know what hate is yet. You don't have haters until you're successful. And 30 selfies a day is not success. You got to cast, cast, unchecked imaginations will cost you relationships. Tragically, there are those who unrestrained imaginations have cost them marriages. Always thought they were being cheated on. Always thought they were snooping around. Because they never let go of the person that had done it to them before. And they forced it on the next one. And made their life a living hell. You don't have to say, man, I know I'm telling the truth. If you don't cast down imaginations, they'll ruin you. If you don't control imaginations of your lust, it'll destroy your marriage. It'll destroy your future marriage. If you don't learn to cast down imaginations... It'll tear everything down. But Paul said, cast down imaginations. How? Because we have spiritual weapons. You and your flesh cannot cast down imaginations. But through the power of the Holy Ghost, you can take control of imaginations and cast them down. Somebody say amen. And every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God. And then if casting down imaginations was not enough, he capped it with this and bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Amen. What Satan has embezzled from the church, both individually and collectively, is beginning, I believe, to reach a point of recovery. Amen. Through the last years, through uh, 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 over the last decades, hell has done everything he could to plunder the church. It's what he sought to do. He's plundered our joy. He's plundered your victory. He's kidnapped our children who were caught up in worldliness. Amen. He has, he has pillaged our prayers. He has mocked our worship. He has looted our peace. But there's always another side to the story. All these things must be restored to a church whose hope is not in itself, but in another. One who is much higher and much more powerful than anything in this world. And if your joy and your victory and your peace and your family and your children are to be restored, it's not going to be through the strength of our flesh or the intellect of our mind. It's going to be through the power of the Holy Ghost. Amen. A church must arise and pursue the things of God. The church was never intended to be something stagnant. Amen. And static. It is ever seeking to meet the challenge of its times. It's a dynamic and pulsating with life. We are the church of the living God. I am a child of the most high God. Amen. The old song we used to sing was, God save me. Why should I be bound? That's a good question. God saved you. Why should you be anxious? Why should you be fearful? Why should you be depressed? You've made it this far against all odds and God will help you make it further. Look at somebody and tell them against all odds I'm going to make it. Amen. Even when church folks give up on me. Even when friends and so-called brethren give up on me, I'm still going to make it against the odds. I've already determined. I may only have one arm and a stump on the other, but I'm determined I'm getting down this river and I'm getting through this canyon of life. And there's going to be hiccups and there's going to be bumps, but I'm not going to get bitter over the bumps. In your text, the setting of the story of 1 Samuel 30 is one of the most fascinating stories of, of the life of David to me is leading up to one, uh, leading up to one must understand the situation that David is in. He, David is still having to deal with the onslaught of the pursuit by Saul. 
And we find in the opening chapter of of 1 Samuel chapter 29 that David was in a place called Apec. And Apec was three days journey from Zeklag. And while David had been in Apec, the, the Amalekites had been working destruction at the only safe place that David had in his life. If you'll remember, the Amalekites were those people who had badgered and provoked the children of Israel practically every step of the way when they left Egypt until the time they had settled in the promised land of God. The Amalekites were a thorn in the side of the children of God. Finally, God had enough of it. His instructions were to Saul were simple. Saul, I'm going to anoint you to win this battle against the Amalekites. Here's the caveat. I want you to eat. I want your army to eat. And then I want you to go to battle. And I want you to kill everything. Leave no man, woman, boy, child, not one goat, not one lamb, not one cow. Wipe it out. I'm going to give you the power once and for all to take these people and everything they possess and completely annihilate them. But what did Saul do? He called a fast. See, he wanted to do it in his own power. And then when they did defeat the Amalekites, the prophet showed up. The prophet said, what is this? And I'm paraphrasing. Saul said, what do you mean, what is this? Look at the scoreboard. Us 100, them nothing. He said, well, well, if this is the victory that God promised you, why is it that I hear the bleeding of sheep? Why is it that I hear the, the lowing of cattle in the fields? Saul, you were supposed to kill everything. He said, but we are just keeping these to sacrifice. That wasn't the thing you were supposed to do. But Saul, in the sad spiritual state that he was living in, refused to fulfill the entire purpose of God. He only obeyed half of what God instructed him to do. And remember, half right is always wrong. Half right is 100% wrong. A half truth is still a complete lie. Amen. Partial obedience is the equivalence of full disobedience. And what Saul refused to deal with became an issue in the life of another. A principle that we must realize is that our life does indeed affect those who are around us. And so now the Amalekites who had not been dealt with by Saul, the way God said to do, now begin to heckle David and his men. In his absence, they came and disrupted the lives of those in Ziklag. All of the wives of David and his men were taken. It was discouraging. It was heartbreaking. It was confidence shattering, not for just David, but for his men and him. David had about 600 men. Of those, 200 were too weary to cross the river Besor. So David allowed them to stay behind while he and the others pursued. And I understand this, that every church... Every church will have among its most precious saints those who love, whose love for God will burn with a bright and high, hot faith in God. But the truth of the matter is, there are times that all of our faith can get weakened with life. But it is at this time, when the enemy raids our joy and plunders our peace, that the true children of God rise up and say, uh-uh, I've had enough of this. It's when they become depressed in spirit and more than anything, they need to rest. Not criticism, but rest. A lot of factors may have been involved in their weariness. I heard one, uh, one elder say that the, the greatest weapon that the enemy has is discouragement. And that weapon is rooted in weariness. A lot of factors may have been involved in their weariness. They, they had been in alliance with the Philistines against the king of Israel, Saul. They had been forced to march for three days back to Ziklag. Sometimes peace can be wearying. How many times have you read throughout military history when they won the war, they realized after that they had to win the peace. 
They had to deal with the grief of the loss at Ziklag. Perhaps the force of a swollen brook at Basar was, was enough to dishearten them. They had done all that they've been asked to do and now their feet are bleeding and hurting and they arrive to a city to find everything is now decimated. Whatever the case may be, they were allowed to remain in a place of restoration and rest while David and the 200 went on forward. The same characteristic must be found in this church. Let me say that again. That same characteristic must be found in this church. We must consider that there are those around us that need encouragement and they need our support during the times of weariness of the battle. Not everybody is going to feel like being on the front line at all times. And we've got to understand that it is our calling to encourage the discouraged and lift up the downhearted and to bless those, amen, who are weak and help them and not cast them aside and say, well, you must be backslidden because you're not on the front lines anymore. No, we will find that one of these days when we get to heaven, amen, that we helped someone else get there just as someone else helped us get to heaven. Let me encourage and, and, and challenge you. Not everybody is going to be wide open the whole time. Amen. Some people are going to make it by sheer determination, but others will make it because they've been encouraged encouraged by you and they've been blessed by you and they've been strengthened by you one of the most miss, missed opportunities to obey scripture in, modern, in the modern day church is when we see a brother overtaken in a fall we see a brother overtaken in a fall the bible said if you are spiritual you restore him you don't castigate him. You don't kick them while they're down. How many wounded have we left on our battlefields? Hey Amen. I, I, this isn't a chastisement. I mean, this is just a, this is just a public information announcement. How many times have we left our wounded lying on the battlefield that didn't intend to be there? And I get it. There will always be those they will stub their toe and they will need the ambulance. I get that. The Bible said the poor you will have with you always. Even Jesus admitted some people are just going to be themselves and they're going to get to heaven basically because we were dragging and pushing and kicking the whole way. But they need to be dragged, pushed, and kissed, kicked with love and encouragement. Amen? Now don't physically go kick somebody and say, I love you, Pastor said to do that. And I get it, there are those. They're, they're high maintenance. They, they, they constantly got to be patted on the back. I get that. But the Bible even called us to serve them. When the widows in the book of Acts were complaining and saying that there was favoritism and racism within the early church over the portions of food that were being divvied out amongst the widows, they had to address the need. We got to realize there are wounded people that are going to be on the battlefield. And while pursuing the enemy, we need to stop and restore those that are fallen on the battlefield. Amen. So David and his 400 men, they pressed on and engaged the Amalekites in our, in our scripture. And 1 Samuel 30 and 17 gives us a little hint as to the battle. And the Bible said David smote them from the twilight even until the evening of the next day. Let me just say this. Sometimes the battle requires more than just one prayer meeting. Sometimes the battle requires more devotion than just one service. Sometimes the battle requires more engagement than a 24-hour span. Sometimes the battle is engaging for a long period of time. The church is not built in a day. A man of God is not built in a day. A saint is not built in a day. A prayer warrior is not built in a day. A stress fracture in life may take more than one day to recover and get over. I remember when I, uh, a couple of years ago, had my gallbladder surgery. I was shocked to find out it took time to recover. Because the last time I'd had surgery, I astonished them. 
It was a two-night stay. I was out the next day. They tried to fight me. I said, is there a law? I said, I'm good. I said, you got, you got, you going to put guns on me and hold me? I'm good. I'm ready to go. And I've given them this speech more than once. I was an EMT. I know how to take this IV out as well as put one in. I'm ready to go. No, you got to be here two nights. Nobody leaves in one night. Well, I'm going to die here because I hate these hospital beds. Y'all don't let anybody sleep. I think, I think American health care is a disaster the way we treat people. Go in there every, every 30 minutes and wake them up. Oh, I'm sorry. You just go back to sleep. I'm just, I'm just going to give you five shots. Coming there banging and kicking and clanging and slapping stuff. Oh, I'm so, did, did I wake you up? No, I, I just laid here in the dark staring up at the ceiling saying, I hope that woman will walk in here three more times this hour. The misery of it, right? I got out the next day. They looked at my wife and they said, he'll be back. They said, he'll be back. They looked at my wife and said, uh, the doctor came in, the actual surgeon, and said, he'll be back, and here's what we want you to do. When you come into the emergency room tonight, hand them this, tell them to log in and put, we already have his name in there. They'll just take him right back to a room. And she looked at him, and she basically, I don't remember what all she said because they still had drugs in me. I don't remember what all she said. I wasn't feeling a whole lot of pain at that point. But something to the effect that, well, you don't know him very well. He won't be back here unless he's dead. And I didn't go back. But sometimes you need more time to recover. That gallbladder surgery, I told my doctor, yeah, I, I, I got out the next day and I went home and he called me, video appointment a day later, and he said, how you doing? I said, man, this hurts. He goes, yeah, it's going to hurt. It's, it's surgery. Talked to him two or three days later, how you feeling? I said, man, I'm still hurting. He said, yeah. I said, I figured I'd be back to normal by now. He goes, no. He said, what, activi what activities are you doing? He said, I said, well, I went in the backyard and I, I tried to swing some of my golf clubs. He said, Pastor, you just had your gallbladder removed. You've got several incisions on your stomach. You, the last thing you need to be doing is swinging a golf club. And I said, well, I didn't swing a golf club. I'm sure my wife's about to kill me being in the house this long. And I told him, he goes, well, how does it feel? I said, it hurts. He goes, stop doing it. <laughs> I had the same doctor almost 20 years. I said, stop doing it. He said, that's why I went to eight years of school and four years of residency to tell you, stop. <laughs> Two weeks, of, did a follow-up. How do you feel? Doing much better, but I still hurt. I just can't seem to get my energy back the way it was. He says, congratulations, you are now 41 years old. Welcome to this part of your life where you don't bounce back the way you used to. I'm going to tell you, sometimes God calls you to a period of rest. But against all odds, if you'll strengthen those who are in need of rest, God can bring them back from that. Pentecost occurred after a time of tearing and praying and waiting in the upper room. We've, we've lost the art of tearing in Pentecost now. Whatever the cost is, no matter what the obligation required, the church finds itself at a point where she must pursue and conquer. No matter how long it takes, we've got to determine, I've got to be involved in the victory that God has called us to. No matter how much difficulty there may seem to be, there is a God who can help me recover from the wounds and the weariness that I have went through in 2023. And I am determined that against the odds, I am going to be what God has called me to be. And against the odds, I'm going to step into this new year having more victory and more purpose than I stepped into this year with. And Satan may want us to think that 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 we are Esau and we cannot recover our birthright. That you have sold something that you cannot buy back. Satan may want you to think that you're a Judas 
and that we have betrayed what we will never be able to redeem or that we are like the rich young ruler who was bypassed and at the intersection of opportunity and promise. But I want to tell you something. You can make a U-turn, amen. And the enemy of your soul may be trying to convince you that you've done too much and you went too far and you've crossed this road too many times and you've circled this same situation too many times, but I am telling you, against all odds, if you will make a determination to walk in the word of God and stay in a prayer life, you can do what God has purposed for your life to do. And you can do it with one arm and a stub on the other. Against all odds, you can. Well, pastor, I have fallen. You don't know how I have fallen. Yeah, I may not know. Quite frankly, I may not want to know. You may have fallen publicly. You may have fallen privately. You may have fallen spiritually. You may have fallen morally. You may have fallen in any number of ways. But I've got scripture for you tonight that I want to encourage you with. The prophet Micah said in the seventh chapter of the eighth verse, he said, rejoice not against me, O mine enemies. Not if I fall. Huh? Not if I fall. When I fall, I shall arise. And when I sit in darkness, the Lord shall be a light about me. When my first nephew was born, and I, 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 was, I was 16, I remember they had these toys. They were inflatable. They stood about that tall, and they had a weight in the bottom of them. And I remember what you called the toys. I haven't seen one since. I'd love to have one, just to inflate every once in a while and bring to church. But when you punched that sucker, it didn't matter how hard you hit it, it always got back up again. Matter of fact, if you just jab it a little bit, it, it moved about that far. You jab it a little bit more, it'd go and it'd come back. You jab it harder, it'd go and it'd come back. I mean, if it had snot, you knocked the snot out of it, because where I'm from, that's about as hard as you can hit somebody. You either knock the snot out of them or knock the fool out of them. And if you hit them real hard, you hit that thing real hard, it goes, and it pops up real fast. Right? Some of you are so focused on the fall, you don't even realize the power of God that's in you to bring you up just as fast as you went down. You get so focused on the darkness, you don't even realize that as quick as the lights went out, God can turn them right back on and be a light unto you in that very moment. If we have fallen... And when we fall, the challenge is not to lay there. The challenge is get back up. Get back up. Ziklag had been looted and destroyed. But the Bible said David encouraged himself in the Lord. And a fire was rekindled in David. And David recovered in a day what he had lost over a period of months and perhaps even years. He fought on against the odds. The odds were stacked against him. David's life was a man who was always against the odds. You're here today against the odds. We talked about it on Sunday. You would have never believed 20 years ago you would be where you are right now. I'm still being real with you. I, I, I need to get you through this year realizing really how good God has been to you. And to convince you you're not the failure that you've allowed the devil to convince you that you are. You wouldn't believe where you were. You, you, you thought that losing that job, you would have never recovered from it. The loss of that loved one, you'd have thought you'd have never recovered from it. The pain of that divorce, you'd have never thought you would have bounced back from it. But here you are. The addiction that ravaged your body, your home, your mind, your relationship. You would have never thought you would recover from it. But here you are in the grace of God. Against all odds, you've got to fight back and determine I'm going to see this thing through until the end. 
difficulties are suddenly left in the dust when you begin to go against the odds. Tears of defeat suddenly turn into songs of victory when you realize the destiny God has placed on every one of your lives. Trouble suddenly turns into a spiritual gym that hardens our muscles in the midst of the fight. I'm not going to die in my dilemma. I'm not going to cower in this circumstance. I'm going to stand up and fight back by the grace of Almighty God. And when I get weak, I'm going to get with a brother. I'm going to get with a sister. And they're going to help me fight back. Amen. Apostolic quest, purpose, and passion maybe have, may have been robbed from us. You may feel like in the last six months you have lost that drive and that passion. You may chalk it up to a change in life, a change in body chemistry, your age, your job situation, health issues. But I want to tell you something. The tool of the enemy in the last days would be to wear out the saints of the Most High, Daniel prophesied. That's how the devil would try and defeat God's people in the last days, would be just to wear them out. But I'm going to tell you something. We don't walk by our own strength. We walk by the strength of Almighty God against the odds. We keep on walking and we keep on fighting and we keep on praying and we keep on believing and we keep on rejoicing and we keep on shouting and we keep on witnessing and we keep on inviting and we keep on loving and we keep on reaching and teaching and preaching. Amen. God, God will give you the strength to recover. Look at somebody and say, God will give you the strength. To recover. Amen. You, you, you can't let trouble stop you. I, I was talking, I don't even know who I was talking about with this recently. I remember, I think it was, it was, at, it was at Thanksgiving, and uh, we were having dinner, and the family was there, and my, uh, my, my aunt, who has recently started serving the Lord, she had she'd served the Lord for a few years when I was a little bitty kid, and then she backslid after her uh, marriage fell apart and she stayed out of the church for 30 plus years and she in the in the last year and a half it's been amazing to watch uh, she's the youngest my father's the oldest and both of them together are now back in the church and serving the lord it's a beautiful thing it's a beautiful thing and uh after all those years she was faithful in the church for eight nine ten years um uh, she said she she was baptized, but she never spoke in tongues. And, and about six months ago, she spoke in tongues for the first time, receiving the gift of the Holy Ghost. And so, it's it's amazing watching watching her as a new believer uh, uh, go. You know, seeing all this thing. We we were talking. She was asking about some of the uh, the missionary trips that I'd been on, missions trips I'd been on, and things. And and. Uh, I had told her back a few months ago when I went back there to take my dad to have back surgery and uh, we had just gotten him home from the hospital and we set up uh, from about 7 p.m. Uh, to probably about 4 a.m. because I had to leave at about 4.30 to drive back to Dallas to the airport. And we set up all night and we began to talk and just began to share the goodness of God and uh, begin, begin to talk about some of the missions trips and, and uh, so she was talking about that at the table and uh, she kept, she kept saying, she calls me nephew. She kept saying, nephew, as if I don't have a name, you know. Nephew, you, you really need to write a book about that. Nephew, I, she'll text me sometimes. What was the name of that country you were in? And I'll, I'll text her back. And she'll text me, nephew, what was the name of that person that you met over there? And I'll text her. And so we're sitting around the Thanksgiving table, and everybody's there. And she starts talking about, she said, uh, she, goes, uh, she goes, now, nephew, I was thinking about... Um, she said, nephew, and there's two of her nephews standing right there. So she says, nephew, I was thinking about it the other day. She said, I, I, I couldn't sleep, and I sat up in the middle of the night, and I just began to think about that time you went to Haiti. And, and, and she said, I just began to weep. And, and, and she goes, now, now what, what was it again? I, I, can't, I can't remember the details of what, you know, what had happened uh, while you were on that boat. And my brother spoke up, and my brother goes, oh, I remember that. He said, that was probably one of the scariest days of my life. And I just stepped back and I looked and I, I couldn't believe he remembered that. And he said, I, I, re, I remember getting that phone call from you when you were on that boat. And I said, yeah. He said, I got off the phone. He's, and my brother was not in the church at all. He was uh, uh, 
into drugs and everything. And we got, he said, when I got off the phone, he said, I got off that piece of heavy equipment and I dropped on my knees. And he said, I lifted my hands to God and I said, cover my brother right now. Don't let anything happen to him right now. I was on that boat and I got there at 10 a.m. It's when the boat was supposed to leave at 11. And he'll tell you, I'm always on time. I'm punctual. And I got there at 10. I wanted to make sure I had a spot on that boat. And when I say boat, you're thinking love boat. You're thinking carnival. I'm talking about it was, it had seen its best years decades ago. And I get on this boat and I'm thinking this is going to be a good trip. And then 11 o'clock passed and that thing was getting full. We didn't leave till almost 1 p.m. because anybody that walked up and wanted to get on the boat got on the boat. They paid a few dollars and they got on the boat. They got on there with their goats. They got on there with their chickens. They got on there with their dead fish. It stunk. It was overcrowded. It got so overcrowded they were taking luggage and they were tying it and dropping it over the side of the boat to just kind of hang over. People were straddling the railing. The boat was getting lower and lower in the water. It's probably meant to carry 80 and there was no less than 350 people on this boat. It was packed. People sitting on top of the of the Where's that place where the captain sits in that box? They're sitting on that roof. They're, 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 they're everywhere. And I, and I remember how scared I was. And I don't, I don't, I don't get, and I'm not, it's not machismo. I just don't get scared of these things. So God tells me to go somewhere, I go there, and I generally am not afraid of it. I may get nervous, but scared, I don't get, this is probably the only time I think I got scared. And I'm sitting on that boat, and I'm watching people, I mean, it was like ants. They're just piling on, climbing on top of each other. And getting on that boat, and I'm watching the bow of the boat started out, you know, maybe six feet above the water. Now we're at about two and a half feet above the water. We got a two or three hour ride across the ocean. And I remember picking up my phone, and I called my brother. And I said, Harold, he, said, well, he answered the phone. He says, hey, bub, where are you at? I said, man, I'm in Haiti. He goes, oh, okay. He said, uh, well, how are things going? I said, they're going good. I said, I just, I don't got a lot of time to talk because this is an expensive phone call. I said, I just want you to know if, if anything happens to me, I want you to take care of my wife and my daughter. Make sure they're taken care of. And he got real quiet, and he said, what's happening? And I said, I'm on a boat, and I just don't feel very comfortable right now. I can tell it's not really balanced. They keep putting people on this boat. And he started screaming, get off the boat. I said, I really can't get off the boat because I've got to preach tonight. I need to get where I'm going. And he's literally yelling at me on the phone, get off the boat. And I said, now I just need you to just listen to me. I'm, I believe I'm going to be okay. Nothing's going to happen. But just in that small chance, if something happens, you promised me my daughter and my wife will be looked after. And, and he said, he said, you got it, little brother. You know I'll take care of it. And I said, okay, I love you. Got off the phone. I never made a call like that before. never made a call like that since. And then I let out a breath like, okay, this is it. I'm a good swimmer. I looked at the person with me. And I said to them, if this thing goes down, swim away from people. Don't try to save anybody. If you hear splashing, swim away from it. Try to swim underwater as much as possible. And we'll probably make it through. I was terrified. About that time, when I literally thought I might stand up and get off the boat. And y'all are going to laugh because you're going to think this is the dumbest thing. Well, hick like me, it could have only been from God. When about that time, a Haitian comes bebopping across that deck wearing a Razorback hat. And if you know me, you know I love college football and I love my Razorbacks. And college football don't exist in Haiti. Especially the Razorbacks. And when he come bebopping through like this with that Razorback hat on, and it just happened to be my favorite era of the Razorback hat. It was the one where it looked like waves. They did all the teams like that. It looked like razors or waves. And it had that big old hog on the front of his head. I, before I could stop myself, I jumped up and I hugged that man. And he pulled back and he looked at me and I just said, Woo pig suey, brother, woo pig suey. He couldn't speak English. He didn't know what that meant. He just smiled and thought, man, this crazy white guy. He's, he's doing something. I'm going to tell you something. If you will persevere 
if you'll get to the other side, I am telling you, against all odds, you're going to make it living for God. If you'll determine in your mind, I'm right where God wants me to be, and I'm going to keep on going, serving God. God's going to do something great and marvelous in your life. Brother Lucas, will you come? i got a lot more to get to, but I'm going to stop. You've got to make up in your mind, I, I, I don't care how treacherous it looks in front of me, I'm going to make this. I'm going to overcome. I've been in some, I've been in some hairy situations. Maybe I will write a book one day, and, and, and if I'm smart enough, I'll, I'll, I'll write it all down. I won't write it down. I'll talk it if somebody's smart enough to understand my talk and type it out. That's the only way it'll get done. Believe me, I try talk to text. It's the worst thing you've ever seen in your life. I tried to start talk, talk texting again a couple months ago, and I talked text to somebody, and they just wrote, and this happens every time they wrote back, and I was driving, and wrote, and I said a cuss word to them. I didn't mean to, I didn't, I don't cuss, I didn't say that, but it don't understand East Texas vernacular. I can promise you Siri does not speak Southern. That's happened more than a few times, and I get comfortable, you know, two or three days using it, I don't proofread it anymore. I just hit send. And I hit sin and they came back with it. What in the world are he trying to say to me? Lord, forgive that old heathen Siri. That old heifer trying to send me to hell. See, she's talking to me right now. Amen. Been those hairy situations. And every time I think, man, this is. Then I think of the promise of God. That he's brought me too far to leave me. And let me die in that situation. Been on some very suspect ferries going across the ocean in the Philippines. Very suspect. And I ride on the roof of them. You want to know why? Because if and when that puppy goes down, I'm swimming. Brother Garza got on a risky boat a few months ago. And I told him, I said, this is where you sit. You need to sit there because when he goes down, you need to, I started telling him everything you need to do. If that boat goes down, remember, you've got a wife and two little girls you've got to get home to. Don't try to save anybody. You can't save anybody. You've got to save yourself. Get away from them. I always carry water purification tablets, first aid kits, all kinds, everywhere I go because if, if something happens, I'm putting all the odds in my favor. I intend to survive. I don't intend to die until God calls me home. And I'm hoping I'll be a really old man surrounded by my wife and grandkids and, well, Blue won't be around. If I'm a real old man, unless something happens in veterinary medicine that can extend their lives, he's about to outrun his usefulness anyway. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I pick on him. I love him. But I know that, that, that if God calls me, that against the odds, you've got to determine that against the odds, I'm determined I'm going to serve God. You know, I can't remember. I think it was Sister Magruder that, and I, I thought about playing and singing the song, but there's something about the rhythm of, uh, of that I can't get in my head. But it said, before the first round started, I said, I'll fight until I win. I might even get knocked down, but I'll get up again. I'll control the tempo because I can't afford to lose. So I've made up my mind to make it through. That's where you've got to get. You've got to make up your mind. I'm coming through this. I may get knocked down, but against the odds, I'm getting back up again. You may feel like you're fighting the greatest fight of your life right now. And I talked about it Sunday, about the silent storms. And you may have went home Sunday with renewed hope and renewed faith, but you woke up Monday and the thunder clapped and the lightning flashed again. And you got up this morning and you felt the weight of that storm. I'm going to tell you, Paul, against all odds, you're going to survive it. You're going to come through this because God has destined for your life that you're going to make it through. Would you stand with me? Amen. Once again, I got more notes than I got time. That's all right.
because I believe the message is starting to hit home with some people. I'm going to make it through this. My destiny is greater than my dilemma. Sometimes you need to look at, look at your, how many, how many look at yourself in the mirror? I would hope 100% of you do. I don't know how you brush your teeth without looking in the mirror. How you comb your hair without looking in the mirror. Amen. Every once in a while, you need to talk to yourself in that mirror. Don't do it in a public bathroom. <laughs> Believe me, people don't take kindly to that. Every once in a while, you need to look at yourself in the mirror and not, not address what you see, address the potential. Say, you're, you're better than this. God's destined more for your life. Don't focus in on the, on the faults and the imperfections. Rather, look at that weary brow line and say, I've weathered many storms, and I'll weather this one. Look into your own bloodshot eyes and say, I've survived things other people didn't survive. And I will survive this against the odds. With one good arm and a stub on the other, I'm going to make it down the river of life. And I'm not going to cling as if there's no hope. I'm going to march through victorious. Somebody said, I'm going to make it to heaven. When I get there, I'll be tattered and torn and bruised and weary. Not me. When I get to heaven, I'm, I'm going to moonwalk through the pearly gates. I'm, I'm going to turn around. I'm going to do the best Michael Jackson moonwalk. I used to be able to moonwalk when I was a teenager. I can't moon. I'm going to moonwalk in there going hee-hee the whole way. And that hee-hee is going to be directed at, at every enemy. Every spirit that came against me and said, I'll take you out. That the promise of God is dead in your life. There's been promises in my life that hell has said is over and said, here's the evidence. And I've just got up and preached in his face. And not even necessarily behind the pulpit. I've preached to him in the mirror. I've preached to him in the truck. I've preached to him out walking. I've preached to him hunting. I've preached to him fishing. I've preached to him traveling. The promises of God are yea and amen. And not a word of God shall ever fall to the earth void. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but his word shall never pass away. And against all odds, God's going to perform his word. And against all odds, God is going to make something out of your life. Because you've been destined for greater than mediocrity. And you've been destined for greater than a life of dim struggle you have been destined to be what God has called you to be amen you're not just a survivor you're a thriver I ain't going to heaven hobbling I'm moonwalking in if I can't moonwalk in my glorified body then bless God I'm on JJ walk up in that place I'm going to have the best swagger you've ever seen in your life marching up into heaven because I made it through by his grace against all odds I'm telling somebody you're going to make it against all odds your family genetics may not say that you're going to make it but you're going to make it your pedigree may say you're not going to make it but you're going to make it your failures may be stacked against you but you are going to make it your ziklag may be smoldering in ashes right now but I'm telling you against the odds going to make it because God said you can you feel like fighting on or you want to throw in the towel now you want to get your second win and get back in the fight amen you need to wait for another awakening or can we do it now amen do we need to wait until the first of the year or do it now you need to get a holy boldness in you and say, bless God, I'm walking out of this place. I am not going to let the cloak of depression push my face into the floor of defeat. I am standing up in the promise of God. And I will be that man God's called me to be. I will be that prayer warrior God's called me to be. I will be that evangelist that God's called me to be on my job and in my family. Would you come to the front for just a moment?
wants to pray together. You got to get a wild, reckless boldness in you. That even when everything stands against you, you got to have faith that God is still for you. Remember, Bishop Price told me a true story. Early Pentecost circuit writer, back in the late 1800s, early 1900s, went into a little West Texas town. There they had an empty Grange Hall. It's a kind of a public community hall. This guy comes in, and he was a lone cowboy, pretty tall for his time, about 6'1". When he walked in, everybody took note of him, and he started putting up signs all over the town, said revival meeting tonight, 5 o'clock, the Grange Hall, and everything said, everybody laughed and said, You'd, you don't want that trouble, preacher. They run out every preacher that comes into this town. I'm telling you, preacher, you don't want to try to have a revival in this town. Listen, they run them out every time. They run them out. They leave here crying and scalded like a dog. You don't want to try to have a revival here. And the preacher said, that's all right. Five o'clock rolls around. The whole town turns. The place is packed because they wanted to see. You see, what there was was there's a bunch of teenagers who had caused trouble. And they told that preacher right before service starts, said, look, they're going to run you out of here. And he said, nobody's running. God called me to this city. They ain't running me out of here. And they said, well, preacher, I'm going to tell you what's going to happen. While you're up there preaching, them boys are going to get up in them rafters. And they'll sit up and they'll start spitting on you while you preach. And the people will start laughing. Some will start fighting and they'll run you out of town. Well, undeterred, and standing on the promise of God, that old preacher walked to the pulpit. He stood there ramrod straight. He reached into his hips and he pulled out two 45s and he laid them, it's a true story, laid them on the pulpit. And he said, every head bowed and every eye closed. Them two Colt 45s laying on the pulpit, glistening by candlelight that circuit rider evangelist lifted his voice to heaven and he began to boom a prayer Lord Jesus I ask you tonight to be with us in this meeting and give me strength for if one drop of spit hits my forehead I will kill anyone that's above me in Jesus name amen and they had eight weeks of great revival in that little town You need to walk back into your life like you're the sheriff. Huh? Like you're the sheriff and not the town drunk. You need to take control because God's destined that for your life. I mean, you may not have 245s, but I'll tell you what I've got. I've got an axe and 238s. You need to walk in like an old western and kick the doors open and walk in. Say, there's going to be trouble here tonight. Because I'm running depression out of this town. And I'm running fear out of this town. And I'm running weariness and anxiety out of this town. And I'm running defeat out of this town. And I'm running the curse that has been on my life out of this town. Because greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. I just polish the badge. Because you're called of God. Would you lift your hands right now where you are? You've made it this far against all odds. I pray the strength of God into your spirit tonight. And I pray the peace of heaven into your life. Lord, for everything that the enemy has meant for evil, Lord, that you would turn it and you would work it for good in each and every life as you have done so far. In the name of Jesus, I pray against the spirit of weariness that gets a hold of God's people and the enemy that tries to wear them out not through great hideous sin but tries to wear them out just through the routine of life 
I pray against that now and I speak in the name of Jesus Lord would you loose the strength and the peace of the Holy Ghost into their life and into this place Lord give them the strength and the courage to walk back into their home and walk into their life and start taking authority and dominion against the odds to take authority and dominion and stand upon the promises of God for they are yea and amen in their life in the name of Jesus I pray that you would strengthen them right now by the power of the Holy Ghost would you reach over and pray with somebody near you right now maybe they're wounded on the battlefield and you don't even know it yet Maybe they need strength in their life and you you don't know it. They hide it really well. Just pray for them right now in the name of Jesus. Would you strengthen them right now? Hallelujah. You've not gone too far. You've not done too much to derail the promise of God over your life. You are called and you are chosen of the Most High God. God didn't make a mistake in saving you. God didn't make a mistake in calling you and choosing you. God didn't make a mistake when you were born. You've been chosen for the kingdom for such a time as this. Come on, that's it. I feel the Holy Ghost moving on a Tuesday night. I feel the strength of heaven in this place. Hallelujah. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. I'm going to stand on the promise of God. I'm going to stand on the promise of God. Come on, some of you need to speak to that spirit of defeat. Some of you need to speak to that spirit of weariness and you need to tell it, rejoice not against me. Oh, my enemies, for when I fall, I shall arise. I'm getting back up again. I'm getting up tonight. I'm not waiting on Sunday to get up. I'm not waiting on next Sunday to get up. I'm getting up right now. I'm getting up off the floor now. I've been destined. I've been called against the odds to be what God's called me to be. at somebody and tell them against the odds I'm going to make it tell somebody else against the odds I'm going to make it amen quit acting like a victim act like a child of God act like a child of God he's empowered you a few years ago and I don't tell the story much and I definitely don't tell it when my daughter's around because I don't I don't want to spook her. I don't want her to be afraid of things. She woke up one night and she came in our room and she was screaming. And uh, I don't talk a lot about this for, for various reasons. Thanks again for joining us for this podcast. It's such an honor that we could have you and we pray you were blessed by the word today. We want to stay connected with you, and so give us a follow on our social media pages on Facebook or Instagram. You can find all of those on our website at firstchurch.app. You can also stay connected with us through that uh, website, and you can download it as an app on your phone from there. And so until the next time, we pray you're blessed. Have a great week in Jesus' name.